You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Benson. You can turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. In chapter 4, we're going to see that Paul continues to expound on different themes and ideas that he's already been introducing to this church at Thessalonica. If you want to look back with me at chapter 3, just kind of refresh our memories about where we were over the past couple of weeks. We've been talking about Paul's desire to to return to this church, to, to go back to the church that he had planted, to check up on them, and to continue adding to their faith. We said that ultimately Paul was calling these people to live faithfully until Jesus returns, to be faithful until the return of Christ. And we gave you three different ways that Paul encourages them to do this. He says that he wants them to be progressing in their faith. In verse 11 he says, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. Now we already looked at the fact that Paul wanted to return to Thessalonica to add to the faith of these. Uh, to add to the faith of these individuals here at this church. So his motivation is to, to go to this church and continue their progress in understanding who God is, understanding the gospel, and understanding what that looks like, what looks like on a daily basis. So he says, we're praying that God will direct us to you. And then verse 12, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love. And so we said, not only does a progressing faith help us stay faithful until the return of Christ, but an abounding love for each other is necessary, both within the church, loving other Christians, and loving those outside the church, loving lost people, and loving them into the gospel. And then thirdly, we said, a purifying hope. But there's a need, a call, a necessity for a purifying hope. He says, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. So Paul says, my desire is that through your increase in knowledge about the Bible, your progressing faith. You're, you're learning more, so you're trusting more. Remember we said that faith is ultimately trusting truth. And the more truth we have, the greater our trust becomes. And so he wants their faith to increase. And our faith increases by knowing God more through his word. He wants that knowledge and that love to ultimately lead to a life of holiness. Blamelessness. Um, above reproach. People who are, are known for their righteousness rather than known for their sin or their possibility to sin. He says, I want you to be this way until Jesus returns. I want you to learn how to be faithfully living the way that God wants you to live until Jesus returns. And then, in chapter 4, he begins to break down these three concepts even more. This idea of progressive faith, this idea of abounding love, and then understanding more about the end times and what it looks like for Jesus to return. And so he begins with this Understanding or progressing of faith here in chapter 4. And we're going to look briefly at 1 through 3 today. He says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus, that as you receive from us how you ought to walk 
and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. So Paul says, we've we've been giving you auditory, verbal, written instruction. Like we've given it to you in different ways. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. So we've been increasing your head knowledge about what it means to be faithful. Verse verse 2, for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Verse 3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. This is the will of God for your life, Paul says. He says, church, pay attention. Recognize that you're, you're being called to something by God. His will for your life. His desire for you is to be sanctified. Paul says, I'm laboring for it. I'm working for it. My desire is to see it happen. My desire is that you recognize this is the will of God for your life. And then it become a priority for you in your own life. He says, the will of God for your life is sanctification. So before we get into this, let's talk a minute about um, what sanctification is. In your notes there, sanctification defined. There's, there's different ways that we can talk about it. It doesn't mean that one definition is better than another. But this is kind of the definition that I, that I kind of work off of. Sanctification is the progressive work. It's the progressive work of the Holy Spirit and the believer. It's the progressive work of the Holy Spirit and the believer that makes us more and more free from sin and more and more like Christ. In our actual lives. Sanctification is the progressive work of the Holy Spirit and the believer that makes us more and more free from sin. And more and more like Christ in our actual lives. Now I had you guys in the first hour reflect on some important things that you would want to communicate to a new believer about sanctification. Things that you would anticipate possibly being some bad misconceptions about what sanctification is. So let's hear some of those. What are some things that you would want to carefully communicate to someone about sanctification who's a new believer to make sure that there's no errors in their understanding of what sanctification is? Okay, it's a never-ending process, which for me is why I included in my definition that it's a progressing thing. It's something that's steadily increasing, but doesn't find its completion now. Doesn't find its completion until Christ returns. That we don't need to say of being done with our sanctification until Jesus returns and we receive glorified bodies where we're free from our sin, free from our flesh, and that those enemies have been defeated ultimately by Jesus once and for all, forever, where sin and death are removed from this earth. Okay, so it's a progressive thing. What are some other things that you would want to make sure are avoided in someone's understanding of sanctification? Okay, works don't achieve it. That it's more than just um, keeping keeping rules. That it's not. Uh, make sure you pick up your your handout on the way out as far as what our church believes and doesn't believe that you should be doing as a Christian. And if you do those things, then you're good. So it's more than than keeping a, a set standard or a list of rules. What else? It's not only. I didn't know if this sounds like skin to on the spot. But it is not just the work of what you do. It is mainly the work of the Spirit. Okay? There, there's 
there's not just your responsibility in it, it, it it's largely in doing what the Holy Spirit accomplishes in us, that we can't separate the two. It's not just go do this in your own power, go do this in your own um, your own discipline, that the Holy Spirit has to accomplish this in us. What else? It's not something that Great, yeah, it's not something that we wait to be done to us strictly. That, that there is responsibility for a believer to participate in sanctification, that we don't just sit back and wait for God to sanctify us, because we'll be waiting a long time if that's, our, if that's our approach. That we don't just sit back and wait, that we have to actively be participating in that. That, that God's not going to transform my mind if I never subject myself to the Word. If I don't ever open the Word and read it, if I don't ever put myself in a position to hear it from somebody teaching it, then I can't expect to be changed by the Word. It's not going to just magically happen. So there is participation by us that has to happen. What else? Things that you would want to make sure that a new believer understood about sanctification. Okay, whether or not you can... Um, okay, go backwards. Uh, regress, maybe. In your sanctification, which I would say that uh, we can regress in our faith and our application of faith. Obviously, we believe that you can't lose your salvation, which I think it would be important to to clearly define to someone the difference between um, justification and sanctification. Because sometimes we use salvation too generally. Like sometimes we say salvation is, is us. Um, Converting to Christ, which it is, but salvation is also a much bigger thing. Salvation is kind of all-encompassing. Salvation means that we are regenerated by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit changes our view and perspective on everything so that we now desire Christ. Because we know the scripture teaches that we are born cursed because of Adam and Eve. We're born dead in our sins. We're born enemies of God. And we have no desire for God. And so the Holy Spirit regenerates us. He changes our perspective so that when the gospel is shared, now I want the gospel. The gospel could have been shared with you multiple times and there was no desire for it, but now that the Holy Spirit's really working, hey, I want to respond to the gospel. Regeneration. Justification is that conversion to Christianity where we begin to follow Christ and we are declared righteous based on the work of Christ. That our sins are now viewed as forgiven. Our... Um, righteousness is now viewed as accomplished, that we have been obedient to the law. When it comes to gaining eternal life, we have been viewed now as completely obedient because of the work of Christ. So, justification, that's happened, we are saved. But salvation also means that we're being saved from daily sin, and that's sanctification. So, sanctification is us continuing the process of salvation. And then what we know is glorification is when death and sin are completely removed, we get new bodies when Jesus returns, and we are considered glorified. So regeneration, justification, sanctification, glorification, those are all parts of salvation. And it's important that we recognize the difference of sanctification. That our sanctification does not save us from our sins. In the sense that justification is us being saved by the work of Christ. Sanctification is the continuing process of what God wants to do in us to the end goal of us being made um, in the image of Christ. 
Let's go back to the analogy we used a couple of weeks ago. We said that um, God identifies us in our brokenness, and He loved us enough to purchase us in that brokenness. And I illustrated it like saying, uh, some of these guys that flip houses, they identify a good investment. They purchase something that's broken, that's nasty, that has no appeal to anybody else. Purchase it and says, this is my house now. Like, I own this. I possess this. But the guy who purchases it also says, this isn't my house yet. Like, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta make some changes here. This is not the end goal. I didn't love this house in the way that it was. I identified what this house could be. And so he purchases the house and then radically transforms the house. It's his house when he purchases it, but he also makes it his house in the way that he transforms it. And that's what salvation looks like for God. He identifies us in our brokenness. We don't, we don't come to God and earn our salvation based on our good works. We don't come as sanctified people who offer our services to God. We are saved in our sin. We are saved in our brokenness. And then the radical transformation starts to happen. God takes us who, who now are his adopted sons and daughters. So we belong to him, but we are not what he wants us to be yet. And so he begins to radically transform us, to radically change us. To me, that's really important that a believer understands the role of sanctification in the gospel. That our good works or our holiness after salvation does not add to our salvation. That, that our salvation in the sense of being saved from hell, saved to eternity with Christ, saved from our sins, um, the law being accomplished for us, that is done in Christ. That part is completely done. Jesus came, he lived for 33 years, his life ended, he's done. He, he, his work on this earth, from, from our salvation standpoint, done. And it's important for a new believer to understand that. Because if not, a new believer comes into this thinking, I've got to do some things to be saved. Okay, I was talking with Will yesterday, and he was talking about someone that he was sharing the gospel with, and this person said, I want to start coming to church so that I can be saved. Well, if you mean coming to church so you can understand the gospel, then yes, you do need, you need to be around us so that you can understand what salvation means. Coming here on Sunday morning for multiple weeks doesn't do anything to add to your salvation. And we need to recognize that while we, a lot of us, have grown up in church, and we, can, we know the difference between justification and sanctification, that we are going to interact with people, Lord willing, as we make disciples who don't see that distinct difference. And we need to be able to communicate that. Anything else that you wrote down as some key things that you would want to make sure were clear to someone about sanctification that we haven't already hit on? Even though we're in the process of being sanctified, you will still see us sanctified. Okay. Not like, hey, I'm in the process of sanctifying, therefore I'm not going to sin you. Yeah, great, that we recognize that within this church, we're going to sin. That as we're pursuing Christ, we are going to fail. Um, as leadership in this church, we're going to fail. We're going to let you down. Um, we're going to not meet your expectations. Um, we are not sanctified yet. We are, we are still a work in progress. A progress and a work that will be completed. That is guaranteed to be completed, Paul tells us. That, that God starts something and he will finish it. He will accomplish it. He doesn't purchase the house, start the transformation, and then run out of money and say, well, that was a poor decision, and discard it. 
That it's a progress that starts and does have a finish. That we will be finished. That we will be what God wants us to be. Anything else that you jotted down that would be important to you to communicate to a, a new believer? How we are saved, it comes down to like it's the same way that we're saved by grace through like through faith through believing we're saved. It doesn't change like progressive sanctification doesn't change once we get saved by faith. It's do It's like you're saved by faith, keep having faith. Right. Yeah, we're constantly coming back to the gospel. We're constantly coming back to the mindset that. Um, that it's already been done for us, that it's by God's grace, and, and it's by our faith in what Christ has accomplished for us. And it's, and it's also still submitting to the fact that the Holy Spirit is going to do this through us, that, um, that we're not in, our, in and of ourselves going to accomplish this. Um, but that good works do flow out of sanctification, obviously. Um, but I think we make a mistake in thinking, in starting with a change in lifestyle, when that change in lifestyle has to flow from a change in thought process. That we have to change our thinking about sin so that it then flows out in our life and our lifestyle gets changed as well. What are you going to say? I think you kind of already touched on being in this progressive thinking. It's not an automatic, like you can't look back and say, this is the day I was sanctified the way you can, this is the day that I was Right. It's not an automatic thing. It's something that has to be worked at. Right, and it works at different speeds. Um, and it works at different speeds in different people. And I think that's important for us to recognize as a church that we can't grow frustrated at someone thinking, wow, you should be way more sanctified than you are right now. Um, because we're not ultimately responsible for their sanctification. We're, all, we're, we're responsible to make disciples in the sense that we create environments where sanctification can happen. But the Holy Spirit has to change desires. We can't change people's desires. We can modify behavior for a while, but if the, if the desire hasn't changed, then that will fall away um, within time. So it, it, it happens differently at different paces for different people, for, especially for some of us too. That there's times where it's happening faster, and then it kind of slows down. And then it happens faster again. We go through different paces of sanctification as well, where we're being conformed to the image of Christ. All right, good thoughts to kind of direct us towards this topic. And I want to approach this topic in the sense that for a lot of us, we're, we're familiar with the concept of sanctification. But again, here at this church, we want to be a place where not only are you familiar with it for yourself, but you're able to teach it to someone else. And that's where we want to move towards. Not just you being able to affirm what I'm going to say today about sanctification. But to you being able to possess it in such a way that you can then pass it on to somebody else as well. Don't just tune out because, yes, I know this, yes, I know this, yes, I know this. Make sure that you're engaged to where, do I know this to where I can teach it to someone? I don't need to just know this for myself. I need to be able to teach sanctification to somebody else. Okay, so we define it as the progressive work of the Holy Spirit and the believer, making us more and more free from sin and more and more like Christ. In our actual lives. Some other ways that we can understand it. It's our moral condition being brought into conformity with our legal status. And we already said this. That we've been justified or declared righteous. Sanctification is being made righteous. 
We're declared righteous. God treats us as perfect. But now he is making us more and more perfect in our actual lives. Our entire being is progressively transformed. When we talk about sanctification, we're not just talking about God wanting us to be holy in some certain aspects of our life. Sanctification is an all-encompassing work in us where our thoughts, our actions, our dreams, not our nightly dreams, which I guess you said that too, but like our ambitions in life, like what we are here for radically needs to be shaped and changed uh, through sanctification. Our desires, our relationship with each other, the way we interact with each other in the church, the way we interact with lost people, the way we interact with the opposite sex has to be radically changed and different from the lost and dying world. So we get changed all over, not just in some aspects, but we get radically transformed in all aspects of our life. So it's all-encompassing. It's God's plan to make us into what we were meant to be, his image bearers, or, or his glory reflectors. We were created to reflect the image of God. And we mess that up according to Romans 3.23 that we've all sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. We're supposed to reflect His glory back to Him, but in our sin we can't do that. And so sanctification is God making us back into what we were meant to be. It's Him fixing what we messed up. It's Him restoring us and even taking us further, bringing us into His holiness. And then lastly, it's learning to walk in the Spirit. Education is learning how to walk in the Spirit. And that talks about, that, that, that reflects both our responsibility to walk, but it also helps us understand how we walk. We're to walk in the Spirit. Participation in it. The Holy Spirit does, this, does it through us, but we have to be actively pursuing sanctification as well. It's moving from where we are to where we are meant to be. Walking in the Spirit. Going from one place to another, where we are to where we need to be. Everybody got that in their notes? I forgot that there were some blanks there. Okay, so we kind of looked at a definition of sanctification in a broad sense. Understanding God's will for our life practically now for a new believer. And these are things that I jotted down just to kind of introduce us to this topic. We're not going to look specifically at 1 Thessalonians today. We're going to look at that next week as far as how Paul's instruction here fits into the context of this letter. But here's some things that I think all of us need to be on the same page about moving forward with this topic as we prepare to look at it in 1 Thessalonians 4. So I'm going to give you eight things today um, that I would want to communicate to a new believer about sanctification. That I want to communicate to you as a church so that we're on the same page with this as we move forward with understanding what sanctification is. First thing, sanctification must become your first priority. Sanctification must become your first priority. Why? Because God says, this is my will for your life. God's God's will for your life is your sanctification. Not just behavioral change. Sanctification. And and we could define sanctification, like I said already, in different ways. But the end goal of sanctification is for us to be like Christ. For us to hate sin and to love God. For us to delight in God for His glory. That's the ultimate goal of sanctification. So we can say that our first priority, the main focus in our life, needs to be sanctification for us. 
sanctification for us in our life. Now, some things that I jotted down about that is that we must recognize our need for it by honestly admitting we are not holy. We must recognize our need for it by honestly admitting we are not holy. See, one of the hindrances that I wrote down for me in my own sanctification is sometimes I compare myself to others and say, well, I'm doing better than, than them, so I'm okay. That's a hindrance at times for me in my own sanctification, is that I don't view it as what God has called me to. I view it too much in a group sense that God's called us to this, and I am progressing faster maybe than somebody else. So I don't have to be as intentional in my own sanctification. I'm comparing myself to others as as opposed to comparing myself to what Scripture has called me to be. What are some other hindrances for you guys in your sanctification? Talking about making it a priority in our life, what keeps it from being a priority? Or what keeps it from accomplishing what it needs to in our life? Any hindrances that you came up with in your own life for your sanctification. One of me was like loving comfort. And like where I work two jobs now, I just don't have a lot of free time. Like the free time that I'm just like second. And like knowing that studying, thinking, all that kind of stuff like takes effort. Yeah. It's certainly a battle to Use the time that we do have that's not already obligated to something else for sanctifying purposes. And we've already kind of said the sanctification happens. Um, it can't happen unless we're putting our mind in the Word. Whether that's through own personal reading and study, whether that's through being here on a Sunday, whether that's through listening to other people's sermons throughout the week, that we have to be in the Word to be sanctified. And a lot of times, I'm with Jake, a lot of times, when, when I've got time where I'm not obligated to do something, the thought of the effort that it takes sometimes to be in the Word um, discourages me from wanting to do it. Um, that's a hindrance at times to my own sanctification. What else? Hindrances to your sanctification becoming more and more like Christ. Sometimes it's relationships we have with people. Okay. In what way? I was thinking about somebody here today. She was saying when she away at school, she has a certain group of friends that pull her away from church when she doesn't live by it, and she has a different group of friends that encourage her to be more like Christ. And I think we all, either through work or that we've come together with people, or just we choose to with those kind of people. But there are people who pull us away from that, even if it's just the time's up. Right. Yep, relationships can certainly be a hindrance to our sanctification, which, I, which is why I think there's clear instruction in scripture about trying to remove some of that obstacle that that there is instructions about being with the right kind of people um, and allowing that to dominate a lot of your time that you're with people that are encouraging your sanctification but definitely and especially for those that are um, forced sometimes to be in environments that they can't really control I mean you could have someone who is in a home as as someone who's not independent yet. Okay, and we've got a lot of you that live at home with your parents. You may be in a situation that doesn't really lend itself to sanctification in the current situation that you're in. And you can't really control that. You can't necessarily get out and, and go pick 
a new living environment that will encourage your sanctification more. So some of it we can't control, and that can be a hindrance. That you have to overcome that hindrance, but that can be a hindrance to our sanctification. Relationships that are in our life that, um, that maybe pull us away from what we're supposed to be doing. Other hindrances to sanctification. One thing in the past is Knowing that we're supposed to be in the world on our own um, and doing that, but a lot of times when when you're not challenged through listening to your pastor, like you just you know the basic bottom line. You know, if we are a little, if we're more whatever, we're more sanctified at the spiritual level. A lot of times, it's like okay, I got this. So why do I need to? You know, I'm good. Okay. So that kind of. At that point, it's like, oh, yeah, I got that message, I'm good in that area, so I really want to spend any time in the Word this week because I'm there. Okay. Yeah, like a lack of... Uh, uh, challenged by your... Yeah, not having people in your life that you feel like can challenge you deeper, that you've almost... Um, I guess you've progressed farther than everybody else in your church context, maybe. And then that can be a struggle, especially for those... That are considered the shepherds of the church. That, you know, more often, I mean, it should be the case that the shepherds of the church are the most sanctified, if we want to use that phrase, people in the church. That they are the ones who are pursuing Christ. Uh, they demonstrated their faithfulness for long periods of time. And it can be hard for those men to uh, continue their growth. And so that can be a hindrance at times, not feeling like there's someone beyond where you're at to invest in you. Anything else that you can look at as a contributing factor to a um, slower process of sanctification, maybe? I remember past times it seemed to me like I've drawn from people and relationships that are towards aiding in sanctification. Just because of pride and thinking that they're able to figure out and just being ashamed not that they want to work through a shampoo with people. So it definitely hindered me because the opposite is true. The most beneficial aspects of sanctification sometimes have been through the encouragement and challenging of other believers when I humble myself to be led by So I guess just a, a drawing from the church. Okay, yeah, pride definitely can play a huge aspect in our lack of sanctification, that there's a, a fear of admitting that we're not all that we seem to be cracked up to be, maybe. Um, and obviously that's something that's a battle in all churches, this Presenting ourselves to be more holy than we really are. That it's almost like, hey, we're supposed to be this, so let me put on a facade that I am this. Um, and, and we never really are able to identify that, hey, I'm, I'm still really broken. Like, there's still a lot of renovation that needs to happen in here. And, and, and we're ashamed of it because we don't see a lot of honesty maybe around us in our church context. And so we hide that and try to figure it out on our own. And um, that can certainly be a hindrance to our sanctification because the sooner we're able to admit that we're broken, the sooner we're able to get the help that we need to fix those areas of our life and to um, experience what God wants us to experience. Okay, good. Those are, those are all definite, honest hindrances um, to our sanctification. I think a lot of times maybe the big one for us is the time factor. The time factor. And I was thinking about it this week, and you know, I'm one of those guys that... Um, I have to fight the tendency to think that I don't have enough time to do things. That, that a lot of times I feel like my time is used up before I ever even get to look at it. 
that I'm obligated to be places and to do things so much that a lot of times I will use the phrase that I don't have time. And I think we need to be careful with that because if there's anything that, that we are equal with, it's time. That we all have the same amount of time in our day. How we choose to use that time is obviously different. And there are some of us that, some of us that have more necessary obligations than others. But we all start the same day with 24 hours. And we will all choose to invest that time in what we think is important. Right? Like we will choose to invest our time in what we deem to be important. And we will choose to not invest our time in what we deem not to be of high priority. So we need to all recognize that if sanctification is God's will for our life, that it has to be a priority for us in our life. Now think about how hard this is for a new believer. I mean, if we're just estimating that, that sanctification takes time, you know, you figure if you're going to start, let's say a new believer never gone to church, but now you're asking them to come to church on a Sunday morning. Well, let's figure that's at least a four-hour commitment. By the time you get dressed, travel, you're at church, you hang out a little bit after church, then you go home. That's four hours that you're asking somebody to, to commit to now on a Sunday. We're also going to commit to growing during the week. So let's just say uh, another three to four hours of maybe being in the Word or... Uh, meeting for accountability or doing discipleship, that type of thing, you can easily be looking at 8 to 10 hours a week for specific intentional sanctification purposes. Imagine a new believer who has been controlling his time the way that he wants to. Now you're saying, buddy, you need to find 10 hours in your week to be sanctified. Like intentional sanctification activity. That's difficult. And that's talking about like a part-time job. You know, you got to find 10 hours. And we need to be conscious of that as we begin to disciple new believers, that we are not asking something that will initially come easy for a new believer. I mean, you're talking a lot of time that was being used in a different way that now has to be radically changed to be used for this purpose. But for all of us, I think we all have a responsibility to evaluate where are we putting our time and are we prioritizing sanctification in our own life? Because it has to be a priority. It has to be the number one priority of that we be what God wants us to be. Because God says, this is my will for your life. So we can't justify saying that, well, God really wants me to do this. This is important to God. No, God has told us what's important with our time. It's our sanctification. And it has to be a priority in our life. 2 Peter 1.3 His divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. God has given us what we need for godliness. He has given us what we need for sanctification. He's given us the tools, the resources, and the time. God would never communicate to us, this is my will for your life, sanctification, but I'm going to make it impossible for you to be sanctified. I'm not going to give you enough time to do it. I'm not going to give you the resources to do it. I'm not going to give you the right people in your life to have it happen. No. If, if we know that God is saying, this is my will for your life, then we need to assume he's given me enough time, he's given me the right people, and he's given me plenty of resources to experience sanctification the way that he wants me to. Okay? So it has to be a priority. Secondly, sanctification is not about proving ourselves. 
Sanctification is not about proving ourselves. This kind of goes back to some of the things we talked about earlier. Sanctification is not me proving to God anything. Okay? I don't get up every day and try to prove my love, prove my devotion, or anything like that to God to earn His favor. Okay? Favor with God has been earned on my behalf by Jesus Christ. That's something that I have to preach to myself every day. That I do not get up and do anything with my day to earn God's favor. We are sometimes built to think that performance earns favor. And it does in some of our contexts that we earn our employer's favor by working hard every day. That we earn favor with them. But when it comes to our relationship with God, His favor has been earned on our behalf by Christ. Our, our sins have been atoned for. And, and I didn't provide stuff underneath these points. If you want to jot down stuff that, that you want to remember, then I would encourage you to do so. That's why I left some, of the, some space there for you. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Christ has been treated as sinful with all of our sin on the cross for us. He bore God's wrath for us. He bore the punishment. He died the atoning death for our sin, which means... How silly of us to think that we have to do anything during our day to make up for sins that we've committed. That we don't do any type of activity to make up for any failures in our life. It's already been atoned for. It's already been atoned for on our behalf. Hebrews 10, 14-18 talks about how Jesus offered the sacrifice once and for all. That we need no further evidence that our sin has been dealt with for the simple fact that we do not continue to offer animal sacrifices when we come together to worship. The fact that I do not ask Luke or, or Cortland or Blant to bring their sheep and goats with them on Sunday morning so that we can offer them on the altar up here to atone for their sins should be evidence enough to us that Christ did something very unique on the cross. That he stopped it. He stopped any type of need for our sins to be atoned for. That his sacrifice is once and for all. But not only has our sin been dealt with, the law has already been accomplished for us. Romans 8, 4. Hang on just a second. Romans 8, 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Right before that he says, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Jesus has already accomplished the law for us, so I don't wake up every day to earn God's favor by doing things for him. Christ has already done everything necessary to earn my salvation. So I don't prove myself to God. The other thing that we have to fight is that we don't try to prove ourselves to each other in this church through our sanctification. 
I don't do things to earn your favor. I don't try to be holy. I don't try to be what the Bible tells me to be to impress people in this church. Or to even impress people outside this church. And I certainly don't do things to try to impress myself. There can be the tendency to try to prove myself to myself. To try to overcome tendencies that I've had in the past. That I need to rise above mistakes that I've made in the past. That I need to prove myself to myself that I can do this. No. That is contrary to the gospel. book that I've been reading by J.D. Greer called Gospel. It's all about the fact that we do not, we do not add to or earn our salvation by our performance. That we don't do things to earn favor with God. It's already been dealt with. It's already been done. It's already been accomplished. All right, so sanctification is not about proving ourselves. Number three, sanctification is about fighting sin to delight in God, not keeping rules. Sanctification is about fighting sin to delight in God, not keeping rules. When it becomes keeping rules, it becomes what we call legalism. It's, it's what we call legalism. Legalism in its loose definition is, is, is adding to what it takes to be saved, basically. That in order to be saved, you have to do these things. In order to be a Christian, you have to do these things. It takes away from the gospel. A lot of times churches communicate sanctification in a legalistic way. That here's the list of things we do and don't do as Christians. And some of the... Um, the preconceived ideas that people have when they come into a church is that to be a Christian, you don't smoke, you don't drink, you don't do drugs, you may be in some more conservative environments, you don't go to movies. In, in the really conservative environments that I grew up in, you didn't wear pants. Like, like these things were frowned upon if you really claim to be Christ. You didn't wear pants, you were a girl. <laughs> All the males did not wear pants. <laughs> I mean, it was just silly. It was just silly, like, cultural-type stuff that got attached to the gospel and really rose above the gospel a lot of times. That it was, um, do these things, and, and, and you're good. Like that, That's what we really are striving for you to do. And it becomes a list of rules. It, it's not delight in God. It's stop doing everything that was fun for you. Is basically what it seems to turn into. Now let's talk about this for a second. If we're saying that sanctification is moving from delighting in sin to delighting in God, then I've got to do more than tell somebody the do's and don'ts of being a Christian, right? Because I've got to explain to them why we do this, why we do this and why we don't do this, and it be in the context of, because I'm delighting in God and not delighting in sin. Let's talk about it in the, the context of sex, because he's going to say, Paul says, this is God's will for your life, sanctification, you abstain from sexual immorality. So let's limit our discussion to sexual immorality. Let's use this as an example. You, school or work, you're talking to somebody, you're sharing the gospel with them, they get saved. Okay? For God. You're talking to this guy. This guy's been engulfed in pornography. Okay? This guy's been living on pornography, finding satisfaction in pornography. This, this is his enjoyment. This is how he satisfies his flesh. Okay? It's not going to just cut it and say, hey man, as a Christian, we don't look at pornography. 
Okay, so you need to stop doing that. Okay, so can we agree that you're going to stop doing that? I'm going to ask you next time that you're looking at pornography, and, and I'm going to expect you to say that. Okay? I tend to understand that we don't do this because we delight in God, and this is how that looks. So give me some reasons as to how I could explain to a new believer, this is why we don't look at pornography as a Christian. What are, some, what, are some, what are some things that you might could share with someone that would help move them towards delighting in God by not being engaged in pornography? What are some of the, the damaging effects maybe that that could bring to them? Because ultimately that's what the Bible says, that sin brings death, right? So really it's a change in mind about sin. That we have to move from seeing as a delight to being a, a dying-killing type of activity. Okay, good. Other thoughts? Okay. Okay. on that. Sexual morality is any abuse of that gift. 
that God has designed a good gift for us, He's given us instructions about how to enjoy that gift. And when we misuse that gift, it brings death. He gave good gifts to Adam and Eve. He said, this is how you use them. This is how you don't use them. You misuse them, it brings death. Okay? Um, so if it's a good gift, then we need to understand how it is to be enjoyed in a good way. The, 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 the love and, and sexual relationship between a husband and a wife is obviously best enjoyed when there's an intense trust between both individuals. Like, a good gift of sex is best enjoyed between two individuals when there's intense trust in each other. Sexual immorality destroys that trust between the two. When we step outside the marriage relationship to abuse that gift, then it destroys the trust that's supposed to be enjoyed between the husband and wife. Whether we step outside that relationship with um, with another individual, or whether it's through pictures, whatever it is, it's an abuse of the gift, and it destroys the good gift that God has given us. Okay? So, I need to be able to explain to a new believer, this is why, as Christians, we treat sex in this way. Because we believe it's an unbelievable, amazing gift from God. And that He's given us instructions about how to enjoy it to the fullest. That ultimately God satisfies us, that, that our relationship with Christ is to bring ultimate satisfaction, but that God does give us gifts that are supposed to bring satisfaction as well. That we're supposed to be able to enjoy creation in the way that He's created everything, and He's given us guidelines on how to do that. That it's not just, hey, great that you're a Christian, here's how we don't do things. It's, here's why we don't do things this way, because this is how we understand that Scripture has presented it to us. That God does want us to enjoy these things, and this is how we can enjoy them. And when we don't enjoy them this way, it is uh, something that brings death to us. It destroys relationships. It destroys what we are ultimately wanting, that close relationship with another individual. And there's even instructions about um, the type of people that we're to marry. You know, if I have, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, a new person comes into our church just gets saved, and they have an unbelieving boyfriend or girlfriend. Well, scripture would tell us that they can't be unequally yoked. That don't have light and darkness meshed with each other. Now, I can't just tell someone, hey, you, you can't be with that person anymore. That, that's just what our Bible says. Like, you gotta, you gotta break that up. Because it's gonna be hard to do. But if I can explain to them, look, you made a decision to follow Jesus. You will not be able to follow Jesus and pursue a relationship with this person. You can't do both because they are at odds and at war with each other. This person does not want to follow Jesus. This person will be a hindrance to your sanctification. This is why God instructs us. This, this is God's wise instruction to you that you have to choose carefully who you're going to enjoy that type of intimate relationship with. See, it becomes really legalistic if someone just walks in and we say, hey, we don't do this, we don't do this, we don't do this. It moves from legalism to, hey, I delight in doing these things because I understand why we're doing that. It does make sense. This is the best way. Francis Chan before his home has, has, has made a comment, he didn't tell me personally, but um, he, has, he has told us through his sermons that God's laws are very, very good. That we should not look at God's laws and say, man, what a cosmic killjoy. He is just trying to rain down on our parade and ruin all our fun. No, God has created this. Like, God knows how this is supposed to function. And he's given us instructions about how to function in his creation properly. How to enjoy it to the fullest extent. 
So we need to be able to communicate that to people. We've got to move people from not just following a list of rules that we come up with here at Sovereign Hope. That we're teaching people to delight in God. And we can delight in God by delighting in his creation, by finding fulfillment and satisfaction and enjoyment in what he has given to us. But we do it in the way that he's instructed it to us. All right. So sanctification is about fighting sin to light in God, not keeping rules. This means that we have to believe that sin brings death. Romans 6, 23 and James 1, 15. If you want to jot those down. We have to communicate to new believers and to ourselves. This is how we fight sin ourselves. I don't want to just default into thinking that today's sermon is about how we're going to teach new believers. We need this teaching as well. We have to readily preach to ourselves that sin brings death. That the wages of sin is death. We must believe we do not have to sin because we are dead to it. We've got to reject the notion that we have to do certain things. That we were created this way. That we don't have a choice in it. Romans scripture for that. Uh, the other one, James 1 15, Romans 6 23. For this one, Romans 6 11 through 14. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as an instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. We can choose to give our instruments to God for righteousness. Thirdly, we must believe that sin is not something we can't do. But instead, something we need not do. Make sure you get that. Sin is not something we can't do. It's something that we need not do. The can't do it is the legalistic mindset that, man, that seems so good. Like, why can't we do that? I don't know. We just can't. We're Christians. We don't do that. We've got to move from seeing sin as something we can't do as something that we don't need to do that. Like, that's not good. Like, like I, don't, I don't want to do that anymore because I understand what that does. And part of that's admitting to, to ourselves and to people that we're trying to disciple that sin does bring delight for a time. Like, let's not try to, to kid ourselves into thinking that sin isn't fun for people. That it doesn't bring delight. But it's the long-term effects and consequences that is what destroys that. That we have to be able to communicate. Sin brings death. Sin damages. Sin destroys. That's why we do not do it. That's why we need not do it. It's not just a list of rules that we can't do. Here's some things that we don't need to do anymore. Because our eyes have been opened to how bad it is. It may be good for a time. But overall it is damaging. And that's why we begin to move away from it. Number four. And then we'll stop with this one. Well, if you want to add to that um, comment, we can't do, but instead something we need not do, John 10.10. John 10.10. Jesus says that, 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 that Satan comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. That everything that Satan offers is destructive. Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. And that's where the, 
That's where it frustrates me so much that following Christ gets this bad rap that um, that we have to stop doing everything fun. That that following Christ means giving up, um, enjoying life. And that's not the case. Jesus paints the opposite picture. Jesus says, I've come to fix your, your bad misconception about how this thing works. I've come to give you life and to give it to you abundantly. Because everything that Satan is selling and offering to you through this world is damaging and destructive. Alright, number four. Sanctification means changing our thought process and our lifestyle. Sanctification means changing our thought process and our lifestyle. This is what I was talking about earlier. We can't just teach sanctification as a behavior modification. That we have to change the way that we think. And that comes through the word. Psalm 1. If you want to look at, write that down. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. That we have to change where we get our information from. That before Christ, we get our values and our mindset from the world, that we now have to get it through the word. And I told you earlier, sanctification will not happen like it's supposed to if we are not in the word. Psalm 119.11 I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The psalmist here says, the way that I fight sin in my life is I change the way that I think. I store it up, not just for the sake of memorizing scripture. Like I don't just memorize scripture to memorize it. I memorize it so that I can use it when I'm in situations when I need it. To teach myself that I don't need to do what I'm about to do. That I can say no to my flesh. That I can remind myself scripturally. These are the instructions about how to do this. This is what God's called me to. We, we, we commit scripture to memory so that we can fight sin when we're in those situations. And then Romans 13, 14. Romans 13, 14. Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And there's the aspect of lifestyle change. That when we come to Christ, our thought process has to change. We have to start being in the Word, which before we came to Christ is something we weren't. But we also have to change our lifestyle. We have to stop giving ourselves opportunity to fulfill our fleshly desires. We have to make some Sometimes drastic changes to how we were doing life before so that we stop gratifying our flesh. That to fight sin means that we have to make changes a lot of times. That if this is a hindrance, if this is something that I consistently fall into, I've got to put up parameters where I won't do this anymore. Both a thought process change and a lifestyle change. I told you we're going to stop there, which is always weird for me to stop in the middle of um, what I want to teach, because we don't get to like the, the culmination of it. So we're going to kind of end today with any questions that you guys might have. So we're stopping mid-sermon here. We'll pick up here next week. Um, questions that that leaves you right now with before we wrap up this kind of intro to sanctification. A little bit different today. We're not. Um,
expository, looking at a verse together, but trying to get on the same page about this topic so we understand Paul and the context here in Thessalonians. Questions that, that leaves you with potentially? How to communicate this to a lost person? How to communicate this to yourself? That, that work has been started and it will be finished. I mean, that, that promise is given to us in the scripture. We're assured of that. 
Um, and I'm so thankful, too, that it's not our obligation to get it all fixed before we die or before Jesus comes back. I mean, I'm so thankful that we don't have to get it all done in order to, to be with God for eternity. That I could die tomorrow struggling with some of the same sins that I've been struggling with and know that my glorification is going to happen. That uh, I don't have to complete the course, per se, um, to enjoy God forever. That that's going to happen um, as I continue to struggle with sin when he returns. I think, Steve, going along that line, that when we're confident that God's going to do what he says he's going to do sanctification, it helps us make uh, that difficult process. We're confident that he's going to do what he's going to do, so like that gives me confidence to do what I know I need to do. Right. Even if I don't feel it right now, like there will be like a blessing and truth and a better relationship both ways. Yeah, that's a great point, too. That the assurance that God's going to do what he says he's going to do gives us the encouragement to do our part as well. Any other thoughts or questions that that brings up before we close? And not focusing on the the lack of holiness in a way that brings discouragement and despair. I mean, because even even me hearing something like that, like I'm never going to be holy, so why try? Could be like a wrong response to that, right? Ultimately, our salvation is not brought to completion until Jesus returns. Because those that are dead in Christ, that are in heaven, we're told in the book of Hebrews, like, are waiting for something still. They're waiting for glorified bodies. They're waiting to be completely free from sin in the sense that God never designed it for our soul and our bodies to be separated. Like, we're, we're supposed to be with our bodies. And so... Um, we're sanctified in the sense that we don't struggle with sin in heaven, but we're also absent from our body. So, you know, being fully sanctified means being in a body that doesn't sin. And so I would say that it's not fully complete for them because they're not in their glorified bodies yet. They're not struggling with sin because they're, I mean, they're separated from their body in a sense too, so... I feel pretty good if that's what. <laughs> Sometimes I don't have a canned answer for questions, so I have to uh, process it quickly. And then I have to think about, yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, good. Any other thoughts or questions on that? Alright, one way that we want to help encourage you guys throughout the week with this, and we'll, we'll kind of get this set up this week and definitely start it by next week. For our C groups, we want to have different, um, 
groups on the city for you guys so that you can engage with the sermon from Sunday throughout the week by asking questions, posting comments. Sometimes it can be a little intimidating and maybe a little overwhelming to try to post a question or post a comment when everybody in the church is going to see it. So what we'd like to do is kind of um, break that down into even a smaller setting and give you guys the opportunity to respond to questions that your leader is going to post on Monday. You know, hey, this is what I was thinking about after Adam's sermon. What are some thoughts, questions, or comments you guys might have? And try to give you guys an opportunity to talk about the sermon without having to bring us together on a Wednesday night at 7 o'clock in the middle of our week when we've got a lot of other stuff going on. So we want to follow up with the sermon during the week, and we want to give you the best opportunity to do that with busy schedules. And so that's the way I would encourage you to engage with the sermon is to interact with your group on the city. Um, posting comments, recognizing that your comments are going to help sanctify somebody, and posting questions so that other people can contribute to your sanctification. Okay? I'm going to close this in prayer, and then we'll pick up um, with this uh, next week. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the time that we've had today to look into your word and to wrestle through um, the, the doctrine of sanctification that you've given us in Scripture. God, I'm thankful that you have revealed to us that this is your will for our life and that we have a responsibility to do this and to submit ourselves to you so that you can do it through us. God, I pray that we would be able to understand the tension that's in Scripture where you're, you're telling us that this is all your work and yet we have a responsibility to participate. God, I pray that it would provide comfort to us that you are ultimately going to accomplish this. God, I pray that we would rely on each other in our church to do this together. God, I'm thankful that we do not have to follow you by ourselves. That you've given us brothers and sisters in Christ to spur us on to good works, to push us towards perseverance, to push us towards what we're supposed to be. God, I pray that we as a church would continue to learn that, uh, that delighting in you is far better than delighting in sin. God, I pray that we'd be a church that could recognize... Um, the destructive nature of sin. God, that we'd be able to communicate to others who come to Christ why we don't do these things. Not in a legalistic manner, but in a life-giving manner. God, help us to be people that can disciple others in sanctification. What it means to be progressively made more and more holy. Pray that you would continue the sanctification in all the individuals that make up our church. As we wait for you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.